We're going to be starting in, in John chapter 14 is where we're going to, where we're going to start. And, and the, the subject for today is repentance from sins. And I think that that is, there is an initial repentance that we all encounter uh, when, when I think the Holy Spirit gets a hold of our heart and says, Hey, listen, you need, you need Christ. You need Jesus, right? But it doesn't end there. Repentance does not end there. There's, there is a continual repentance and a continual need for repentance in all of our lives. <laughs> One of the things that sometimes we as Christians tend to forget is that, you know, because we go through those baptismal waters, we're added to the body, right? You know, oh, we're part of the church, which is all good stuff. It's all stuff that, that is, it, you know, God has placed the institution of his church here on this, on this earth uh, to be the mechanism by which Christians congregate together, help one another, and continue to serve God. Amen? That's what he's put down here. But this church is not ours. It's his. Uh, the gospel is not ours. It's his. Repentance of, uh, from sin is, is not our responsibility. We are merely the throughput. We are merely, the church is merely the vehicle by which mankind recognizes his sin and we provide them the opportunity for their repentance to be known and atoned for. But true atonement does not come from you and I. It comes from Jesus Christ. We make lots of decisions based upon our own judgment, which we do. But ultimately, at the end of the day, you and I don't make that call. It's not our responsibility, nor should we ever try to make that our responsibility either. Why? Because we'll mess it up. I promise you that. Even the best of us would mess that up. And what, uh, the reason I say that is because there is something that is crucial for all of us to understand and for all of us to recognize. And in John chapter 14, in verse 6, that is one such verse. That's where we're going. It says there that Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. There is an idea and a concept out there that, that salvation, and you could say, is in the body. Well, it is, in as much as that body is right and true and founded in Jesus Christ. Otherwise, you just got a really cool club. If you ain't got Jesus, you ain't got it. He is the author and perfecter of faith. Is he not? Thank God for that. As he says there that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. You could say that mankind in and of ourself, in our natural state, we cannot approach God. Why? Because we reside in sin. The very nature of mankind, the very nature of who we are, this flesh that we have, the very nature of it, because of the original sin in the garden, because of Adam and Eve, when they sinned and they partook of that fruit and got kicked out of the garden... Mankind has been frightened and scratching to get his way back there ever since. And the only way to get back into that garden or get back into that relationship where we can have communication and communion with God is through Jesus Christ. There is no other way. It only comes through him. We must remember that there is and always will be an absolute need for Christ in our lives. Amen. His sacrifice on the cross, brethren, did bring about salvation to all men. But the reality of it is that not all men take advantage of it. They just don't. I wish it wasn't the case. But we treat every man, every woman that we encounter as a potential opportunity to share Christ with. Why? Because you and I, once again, don't make that call. Amen. 
The Holy Spirit convicts and imparts upon a heart of an individual as the need to change and the need to submit to them. Not you or I. I learned a long time ago as a young preacher, I thought, man, I thought if I could just explain this in such a way that it will cause and it will bring about a change in someone's heart and someone's mind. I've known for a long time that I have an ability to capture an audience. I've known for a long time that I am gifted in public speaking. I know that about myself. I know that I'm crafty when it comes to setting things up when it's time to have a debate. Sometimes it got me whooped as a kid. <laughs> right? So I thought in my intelligence, in my ability to be able to put the scripture out there in such a way for people. You know how many times that's worked? Zero. It has never worked that way. I, I share with you guys all the time. I say, hey, listen, I, I sat down and, and talked with someone for two and a half hours about the importance and value and need for baptism. And I could, I kid you not, he was a relative. You know, you sit back and he goes, you know what? I think you're right. He ran to the first church of Christ and was baptized. I thought, well, that didn't work like I thought it would. <laughs> the one that showed you the need to be baptized, you thought they would have came here. It's like, why? Because God, that's God's way of saying, I'm in control of this, not you. You got a plan, but that's not necessarily God's plan. We can align our plans with God's plan, but it takes deliberate effort for us to do that. We have to understand that even though there is a, an initial recognition in all of our lives to go that Jesus is the way because my way is not working, right? But there is also a continual effort as a long-standing Christian in order for you to be able to say, I got to be reminded that Jesus is the way, not my way. Because what happens to good Christians is we spend a lot of time praying and reading, but we don't do a lot of things of applying the scripture. We don't spend the time to go, listen, this is what the word of God teaches me. What do you mean? It's practical at that point. When you say Jesus is the way and you have submitted yourselves to his way, it takes application. There's plenty of Christians that we, and myself included, over the years have complicated and made things difficult on myself because I tried to do it my way and not his way. So the, even the long-standing Christian, somebody that sits and sits in a pew every Sunday, needs to be reminded and constantly focused back towards Jesus Christ. Because life changes, doesn't it? It's dynamic. Circumstances, people that are brought into your life, changes that, that, that are otherwise unforeseen. You look at it and you go, well, I didn't see that coming, but God did. Oh, He's all-knowing and all-powerful, so we have to go to him to light the path, to illuminate the way. It's important for us to remember that. In Matthew chapter 3... There's something beautiful that takes place in our hearts, in our minds, and something spiritual and internal that takes place in, in, in a person's life when they, when they realize the need and the, the importance of serving God. And it's something that is 100% internal. It is not external. It's 100% internal. It's done on the heart and soul of a man or a woman. 100%. 100%. I'm not going to read. Maybe I'll repeat that. 100%. And we'll read why it's 100% internal. In verse 1, it says, Now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Now, this is just sets the stage for what we're going to read here just in a little bit. I won't read the whole thing. You go back and read verses 1 through 12. John the Baptist is in the wilderness preaching of a baptism of repentance, is he not? 
All of Judea is coming out to be baptized by him. Sounds good. In verse 70, so when he saw the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Now, it's fair to say that maybe not all the people coming for baptism were of moral and upright standards. Would you agree? Well, case in point, you had the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming there. But he didn't talk to the prostitutes. He didn't talk to the thieves. He didn't rebuke them. He didn't prevent them from coming. He didn't prevent the regular citizens from coming. Who did he hit? Who did he hit? Not because the... Hey, listen, if you want to talk about righteousness, they were the rule of thumb in that country as to what righteousness looked like. They were clean, they smelled good, they were rich, and they sat in the position of power. They were everything that righteousness was. They were. Yet, John the Baptist says, whoa, hold on a second here. It says, therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. The word repentance, just so you all know, is a Greek word, metatonoe, or however you want to say it. Okay, not a Greek theologian. And actually, it's, an, it's a dead language, so anybody tells you they know how to exactly pronounce it is probably not telling you the truth. We got a pretty good hunch. It's a change in mind, a change in the inner man, particularly reference to the acceptance of God's will the giving up of the definitely the courses denoted by the following word anyways. The point is, is that the, 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 the notion of the change of an inward man, what do you mean? Listen, the Pharisees were already clean. They were already righteous. John the Baptist did not gauge them by their physical filth or lack thereof. Their hearts were bad. The inner man and the desire to change the inner man was not present with that group. That is what they were judged by. And that is what you and I are judged by. When we come to know Christ and when we submit ourselves to him, it is not because you got a lot of money. It's not based on the color of your skin that God qualifies you. It's not the socioeconomic. It's not the side of town that you live on. It ain't the car that you drive and it ain't the clothes that you wear. He looks at your heart. The fruits that he's talking about there are not physical. The fruit that he is talking about there is spiritual. He's looking at their heart. Brethren, if we deviate from the value and importance of man's heart, we have gone the way of the Pharisee and the Sadducee. We gauge someone's value based upon those other things that I just mentioned. And that's not how God looks at us. It's not how he looks at us. And I thank him for that. If he looked at me for the value of my life based on the things that I've attained to or the things that I've done, I'm a sad sack of rags is what I am. And he says, and do not suppose that you say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise children to Abraham. Why would they say that? Because lineage was so important to the Jewish people, wasn't it? Righteousness was perceived as attaining through your lineage, who your dad was and who you could be traced back to. In comes Jesus and John the Baptist and says, uh-uh. It doesn't matter what side of town you come from. It doesn't matter what family you're born from. That's not why I'm here. 
See, the Pharisees and the Sadducees saw it as an opportunity to add another washing to their already ritualistic process. They thought, oh, goody, another way to get clean. So we can look the part. So we could just morph that into our lives. And that is what was prevented and what prevented them from going into the baptismal waters was their heart was bad. Their heart was bad. They came out for the wrong reason. And that's important for all of us to understand that because could it be that, you know, I've heard people, I've heard people say, I've heard preachers actually say that, that young people had their arms twisted into being baptized. So you need to go be baptized. This is one extreme, right? And the young person goes and be, you know, is baptized because the preacher told him to do it. Well, that's not right either. And sometimes we look at, at serving God as joining a club. Listen, folks, take a look around. If this is a club, we're a sad club. They're, we're all different. <laughs> it's, it's not that great of a club when you look at it from man's perspective and man's eyes. It's more than joining a club. It's not joining a club. It's submitting yourself to his lordship and the lordship of Jesus Christ. Being added to the body to be a member, to become a part of something that transcends this world. That has eternal weight and glory. The things that we do, the lives that we live, the souls that we possess, that we have here in this assembly are valuable, necessary and important. But we must remember that we must bear fruit, as it says there, in keeping with repentance. In other words, our hearts must be right. Must be right for those that submit themselves to him, but also for those that continue to serve him. Our hearts must be right. The cleansing that Jesus Christ offers is an internal cleansing. We undergo a physical cleansing, if you will, but it's not the removal of dirt from the flesh, to quote a scripture to you, but it's the change that takes place on the inside. First Peter talks about it. it's an appeal to God for a clean conscience. Because outside of Jesus Christ, folks, we already covered this. Look, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you go over there. For all in Adam are dead. But life is brought through Christ, Jesus Christ. So that we have the opportunity at life through Jesus. In Adam, in our state, separate from God and separate from Jesus Christ, we are dead. Our flesh is dead. Luke chapter 5, this is another important thing for us to remember. And in, in, in twofold, when we look at the scripture here in verses 27 uh, through 39 here, <clears throat> in verse 27 there it says, After he went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax booth, he said to him, Follow me. And he left everything behind and got up and began to follow him. And Levi gave a big reception for him who was in, the, in his house, and there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people who were reclining at the table with them. The Pharisee and the scribes began, began grumbling at the disciples saying, Why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and sinners? Now, I, I, coincidentally, I had read some scriptures and, and, and done some studying earlier in this week where I actually covered, I actually was reading in, in uh, Matthew chapter 3 talking about bearing fruit and keeping with repentance, but also... Um, th this scripture here that you, you read here, you're like, man, this is kind of interesting. But you know, I was preparing for today and you're like, I already read some of this stuff. And it just keeps, you know, popping up. And, and it says that they were grumbling, saying you eat and, and drink with the tax collectors and sinners. And there's another passage, another place where Jesus uh, addresses them. And he says, hey, listen, what can we do to be saved? He says, listen, he told the soldiers, he says, don't take money by force. Take what is only owed to you. What? He also told the tax collectors, 
just like in today's day and age, right? Wonderful IRS, right? You know, they take from us, don't they? And some say, no, I give it to them. Okay, fool yourself. Try not paying them. I did that once. They come and take it. Like right now. They don't tell you how you would like to pay them. They tell you how they're going to take your wages. And it comes usually in the form of 25% each paycheck. Speaking from personal experience. Or pay in full. What do you mean pay in full? Pay in full. You owe us. Okie dokie. Right? It's an unfortunate experience that I'd never... It's happened to me a couple times. Happened to me when I was a young man. I'm a slow learner, right? <laughs> happened to me when I was a young man, and then it happened to me later in life. You're like, whoo, boy, I just needed to be reminded of how ruthless they can be, right? Tax collectors in that day and age, they were notoriously known for taking more that was owed to them and lining their own pockets. Now, I don't, I'm not saying the IRS does that. Our government does, but that's another subject, right? <laughs> look at look at the special highway tax that we've been paying for in the state of California. And we got worse highways in the western United States. Anyways, another subject for another day, right? So hanging out with the tax collectors and the sinners was something that the righteous people of that day and age, they did not do that. This comes up later as well. You say, what do you mean? Well, when you had the transition and the opening up in the church of Jews and Gentiles, Peter, <laughs> the man through which took care of God's people after the ascension, ascension of Jesus Christ, Peter, in that, in that uh, conversion, it says, hey, listen, I've never eaten anything unclean. And God tells him, don't you declare something unclean that I've declared clean. What? A little self-righteousness comes in a long ways, doesn't it? it? It permeates the existence. Why? Because not only are here in the gospel you're talking about righteousness and unrighteousness, and now you talk about in the New Testament where, where he starts witnessing to the Gentiles, now you're talking about a non-Jew, allowing a non-Jew in, into, into covenant relationship, into the body. And then, whoa, wait, hold on a second. Why? Well, because Gentiles were viewed as unclean. Tax collectors and sinners viewed as unclean, weren't they? Aren't they? Even for us today, you look at the, the people that we deal with, you see tax collectors or thieves or those kind of things. Hey, not good. You shouldn't be doing that kind of stuff. We, I can take a look around the room. There ain't a whole lot of us in here running around with a bunch of thieves, right? Why? Because we value our stuff. <laughs> we don't want to do that. And we know that when you surround yourself with bad people and things like that, it costs you, doesn't it? But there's something different with Matthew, the tax collector. Something that took place in that verse there. It says, after he went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi, that's verse 27, sitting at a tax booth, he said to follow me, and he left everything behind and got up to follow him. Now, Matthew remained and kept the title of a tax collector, didn't he? He will forever and always be known as a tax collector. But once the Lord got a hold of his heart, his identity was found in Jesus Christ. Once God got a hold of his heart and said, come follow me, that was it. But yet you would hope that it would end there, but it doesn't. Because the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they take one look at, at Jesus. That's one of the things that got Jesus in trouble during his ministry on this earth. Is that he sat and ate with the tax collectors and sinners. Why? Why would you do that? It's real simple. It says in verse 31, he says, And Jesus answered and said to them, It is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. 
I shared with you guys a, a very interesting experience when my wife had coronavirus a couple a month or so ago, whatever it was. I called her doctor, and she had not been to her, been to the doctor in in that doctor in in four years, and so I was hoping that there would be some, you know, that I would get some help from this doctor who I know personally, by the way, I've taken Kung Fu classes with him. Yes. This non-flexible thing standing before you today took Kung Fu. Okay. So just bear with me. Okay. And so I took Kung Fu with him. And, and so I know him on a first name basis. And I asked, uh, you know, I couldn't obviously couldn't get a hold of the doctor. And he said, hey, you know, I was hoping to, you know, get my wife in there so you could see her because she's in, she's in pretty bad shape with this coronavirus. Well, the nurse or whoever it was at the front uh, says, well, you know, she's going to need to be well and get a negative test uh, before we'll see her. I said, I'm, I'm calling you because she's sick. Yeah, I understand that. She needs help. I was hoping you guys could help her with that. Well, she's sick. She can't come in here. And I said, I asked her very nicely. I said, so you're telling me that I'm calling to get my wife treatment or some kind of help or be evaluated by the doctor. You're telling me because she is sick, which is also the reason I'm calling, that you will not treat her because she is sick. And she said, well, when you put it like that, yeah. I said, when people are sick, they go to the doctor. Do they not? Yes. So you're telling me my wife, because she's sick, can't come to the doctor. Well, when you put it like that, yeah, I guess I kind of am. You're telling me I have to bring her back when she's well. Yeah. Then I don't need you. And she said, well, I understand. And hung up. We go, what, how does that correlate? It's the same thing for us. When someone walks through those doors and tells us they need Jesus Christ, we give them Jesus Christ. That's our responsibility. When someone says, I need to submit myself to the Lord, we provide the avenue through which they achieve that. Telling somebody that they need to get well before they see the doctor is asinine. It's foolish. It makes no sense. It's like telling your doctor, I need your help, and them telling you, come back when you're well. Why? That makes no sense. None. Zero. Unless you're a Pharisee and a Sadducee. Unless you take the stance that that is that you need to obtain. You're not supposed to be sitting and eating with the tax collectors. You're not supposed to be doing that. Why would you do that? Folks, wake up. That's where the ministry is at. If it's not there, we're in the wrong spot. We're in the wrong place. If you ain't dealing with broken and, and, and people in need of repair, you have surrounded yourself with the wrong group of people. The church is a hospital for the soul. This is where broken souls come to be healed. Not by you, not by me, but by the Spirit of God. We help. We're the throughput. We're the avenue by which they receive that help. Brethren, if, it's tried to, if we try to accomplish that any other way, we're in bad shape, spiritually speaking. You know, I, I don't know if I've shared this with you guys. A lot of years ago, I had a supervisor. He was a corporate boss of mine. And I had friended 
a Cajun, <laughs> okay, this company I worked at. How many of you guys got experience with Cajuns? Okay, you do. Probably the Navy, right? Okay. Cajuns, they're, they're a different group. They, they, okay, you know, you, everybody knows who uh, Harry Connick Jr. is, right? Yes? Okay, he's kind of got that Louisiana drawl, and he cleans it up for TV. A Cajun, or for that matter, a Creole, you can't understand them. They speak English, but it doesn't sound like English. So I was in a meeting one time. This, this, uh, this Cajun guy was in the meeting, and, and it, we're in Houston, Texas, and that's where our corporate office was. And in a big old safety meeting, and this guy's talking, right? And I'm looking at him, and I can tell what he's saying is in English, but I can't really, I, I'm getting like every third or fourth word from this guy, right? And I'm like, what in the world? And I'm not going to tell you exactly how we, how our conversation went because I learned a new terminology for them that I did not know existed up until then. And uh, he says, I'm a Cajun. Well, this guy ended up, me and him ended up thick as thieves. I mean, we were buddies. And, and he actually was a mentor to me because I was still in my, at that time, I was still in my mid, I think I was in my mid-20s at that time. And so I was young. I didn't know what I was doing. And this Cajun guy, you know, takes me under his wing. Now, he drank, smoked, and chewed, okay, and had foul, had, had a foul mouth, okay? Some of you go, oh, why would you be around? So, listen, I worked in the oil fields, okay? If your parameters for not liking somebody is that they drink, smoke, or chew, you're going to be pretty lonely. I'm not saying I participated or engaged in the behavior because I did not, but, you know, the point of it is, is that he was, but he was a brutally honest guy. This guy told you exactly what was on his mind. Sometimes you didn't like it, and sometimes you didn't like the way he told you, but he was 100% brutally honest. Now, my corporate boss at this place was not that way. Never said a foul word, didn't drink or smoke, was an avid runner, very healthy, very, very healthy, in his mid-50s and Man, it looked like he was like 45 years old, but would lie to you as fast as you could, I mean, shake a stick at him. That guy would lie and would do some really sneaky, underhanded things. Well, obviously, is for reasons that are pretty clear, I did not get along with my corporate boss very well. I still gave him the respect that was due him, but I did not spend any more time with him than I needed to because he was dangerous, Okay. Dangerous for my career, dangerous for being around because of the treachery that, that went along with him. One time I got called into the corporate office. My corporate boss says, hey, Jeremy, I got to ask you a question. He says, I know you're a, you know, you're, you're a churchgoer and all this other kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's all true. He says, how, how come you and Felix are so tight? His name is Felix. I probably should, uh, Yeah, his name is Felix. Felix Gidry actually was his last name. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, he, he doesn't do things the way that you do. He goes, well, I, you know, I'm your corporate boss, and you got a better relationship with him. And I looked at my boss and my corporate boss, and I said, but Felix doesn't lie to me. I know what I get with Felix. I get 100% honesty. I don't like some of the things that he does, but he's also taking the time to show me things and to demonstrate things to me. And I told my boss, I said, I don't get that from the rest of this group. The rest of this group is trying to bury me. They're trying to make me look bad. I said, Felix is just trying to help me, and he's 100% honest. And I said, I can deal with honesty. I can't deal with treachery. And, you know, the boss looked at me, and, and I was speaking about him, and he knew that as well. And he said, Understood. I, I did not gauge Felix by his looks. I did not gauge him by the kind of car that he drove or the accent that he had or didn't have. <clears throat> I gauged him by the way he treated me and the actions and the, the core of who he was as an individual. He was fair. He was just.
He didn't lie to me. Never, not once. And help me. I looked at his character rather than his appearance. And that's how God looks at us. God looks at us at our heart. He looks at us at a soul level. Not no matter how pretty we look on the outside or any of those other kind of things. He looks at the content of who we are. And as Christians, we're supposed to do the same. Because it was done for us, so we have to do it. And it should be a fundamental approach for us as Christians to look at the content and the character of an individual, not anything else. Side of town they live on, side of kind of car they drive, the color of their skin, what language they speak, any of those things. As Christians, none of that stuff matters. What matters is the heart of an individual. In Acts chapter 2, something that miraculous takes place, and I put it in the, in the email I, I sent out yesterday, something that I think is, is very important as we understand repentance. And, I, you know, as a, as, a, as a preacher, you know, you, you dream for a day that this happens, right? It's like, wow, are you kidding me? But in, in Acts chapter 2 and in, in verse 37, it says that, now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off, as many as the Lord God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then, those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and uh, were sharing, with, uh, sharing them with all and everyone as anyone might have need. And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they were taking meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. 3,000 souls added in one day. What, what, what did they do? What was their occupation? What was the demographic? What was their makeup? It didn't matter because 3,000 souls were added in one day. Were they troubled? Probably. Did they have to escape Judaism to a certain degree? Sure, probably did. Did they have problems? I'm sure they did. But they came to the right place to have the problems fixed. Problems that we come into the body with, sometimes we can, we can make simple changes in our lives and fix them. And God, God gives us the guidance and the understanding on how to fix them. But then there are other times that the problems that we encounter and enter the body with take time. You do realize that even though we have dealt with, listen, take a look around, folks. In this body, we have those that are, that are prone to addiction. We have, we have, we're prone to having other problems, money problems, financial issues. We have all kinds of problems, anger issues in this body. God does not expect you to have your anger all figured out when you come to know him. 
That's part of the problem is, is that you have to come here to get it fixed. And maybe by the grace of God, by the end of this whole thing, when you end up dead and buried in the grave and, and, and hopefully awaiting your resurrection, that he has knocked off enough of those sharp edges that you're a pretty good Christian. There are going to be some things that we, that, that we never conquer in our lives. You all know of a man that battled with addiction his entire life and preached right from this pulpit. Sometimes preached from this pulpit high. High! Higher than a kite! But we allowed it. Why? Because we knew the content and character of his heart. Was he perfect? No. Did it frustrate us from time to time? Sure. But we knew that he tried. He said, what do you mean? Oh, what? Okay, for clarification, he didn't smoke weed and come in here and was high on weed or anything like that. Prescription pills. What? You mean even though a doctor prescribed it to me, I could abuse him? Hey, come on now. We're past that. Of course we can. He calls the imperfect and makes us perfect through his perfect process, not ours. When I came to know the Lord and began to serve him, do you think that I gave up drinking and partying right away? I did not. Were there times when I came to church that I was still hungover? I did. Were there times that I was around people that I shouldn't have been around while a member of this church? Absolutely. But I thank God for his patience. And I thank God for his mercy. Because he didn't give up on me. And in spite of my failures, in spite of the challenges, in spite of the horrible things that I have done, he still loves me. And he still loves you. That's right. God gives us that opportunity. You see, a lot of times as Christians, we do a really good job at putting on, if we put on the right clothes, if we say the right things in the right way, we give the perception sometimes that we have it all figured out. And truth is, we don't. Every one of us has got a drunk uncle that we got to deal with at Christmas. <laughs> right? I'm just using that as a metaphor, you know what I mean? But, you know, you get what I'm saying. In other words, we all got, we all got families and we all got issues in our families. Even good families got issues. We all come from broken messes, and that's what makes this our submittance, our submittal to Him and adherence to the gospel, such a beautiful thing that He can take such a broken character that stands before you today. And I'm twisted. I'm telling you right now, I'm broken and twisted up here, in here, all kinds of places. But in spite of the brokenness, in spite of the twistedness, He can use me. And if he can use me, I'm telling you guys right now, if he can use me, he can use you. Based on the things that I experienced as a child and based on the things that I saw, based on the things that I did as a young adult, I'm broken and twisted. I assure you that. There are times in my life where in my mind and in my heart, I petition God for righteousness and mercy and justice to enter my mind because the things and the way that I look at things I know are wrong. But that's the beauty of being an overcomer. That's the beauty of allowing God to infiltrate our lives and our hearts and our minds. To, to allow him the opportunity. As it says here that we're reading about. It, it, that when you give yourself to him. And First Peter talks about he creates in you a clean conscience. He gives you the ability to say that that's not right. It doesn't mean you get thrown out with the trash. That's quite the opposite. It means he can use you. Because in our weakness, his power is perfected. You understand that? 
See, here's the problem. Sometimes we don't, we're not honest with ourselves and we don't say that we're weak. We think we're strong and I'm as guilty of that as the next person, trust me. And sometimes when we go too far with that, what happens? God brings us to our knees. We need to be brought weak every once in a while because sometimes when that happens, God gets your undivided attention. You pray so much better when he's got a hold of your flesh sometimes, when he's brought you to your knees. What? No, I pray good all the time. Quit it. I'm a pastor. I'm telling you right now, we don't pray good all the time. There's been a time or two where I've, you know, putting the kids to bed, praying with the kids, and I thank the Lord for the meal we're about to eat. We're not eating before bed. I was going through the motions. We do that. Sometimes we do it out of habit. It's a good habit, but sometimes our heart's not in it, right? Second Corinthians chapter 5. Some of you are looking at your watches going, how much longer you got? I'm almost done, okay? Famous last words of a preacher, right? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 17, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ, reconciling the word to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word, the word, sorry, of reconciliation. Uh, he, let me repeat that. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. This right here, brethren, this right here brings about reconciliation. Not you, not I. We're merely the folks and we're merely the mechanism that God has placed on this earth to point people to this. To show them what this says. To share with them what this says. It says there, we are a new creature and old things have passed away. This newness and this creature thing that we're talking about there. You go over and read Romans chapter 6 as well. The, the change that takes place in an individual takes place on the inside. This new creature, if you're in Christ Jesus, means that you now have the Spirit of God in your life and in your heart to tell you, to convict you of right and wrong. But it only comes after you submit yourself to his lordship. When you make the commitment that says, he's my God and I want to serve him. What does that look like? It's linear and it's progressional. In other words, it goes on and on and on. We first believe in him and then we live a Christian lifestyle. The first, I always say the first physical step that we can make, first physical act of faith. Remember this, first physical act of faith because baptism is an act of faith. It may be physical in nature. In other words, you fill a baptistry, you go in there, you get dunked underwater and you come out. But make no mistake about it, that is an act of faith. Because the change that takes place in a person's life, their conscience that we know and we read, and when we get that new conscience, that's not, a, that, that's not something I can hand you a plaque and go, no, here you go, you got your new conscience. Walk away with it. That is an internal change. Just as repentance is an internal change. With the expectation that once repentance takes place on the inside of a person, that the actions begin to change as well. The actions follow the internal change. Whoa. That was loud. New things have come. We get to walk in a newness of life, and we get to be, as it says, who reconciled himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You do realize that every single one of us in here is in a state of a need of reconciliation because mankind in our natural state cannot be in the presence of God. 
We need Christ to be the medium through which we approach God. And that is achieved. And reconcilia reconciliation takes place in all of our lives. And there is a continual need for reconciliation. What do you mean? Listen, we, we make those initial steps. We make the initial faith. We make the initial baptism. We make the initial commitment to those things. But guess what? It's a lifelong endeavor. And there are sometimes that some months are good. Sometimes some, some, uh, some uh, days are better than others. And then sometimes not. Right? That's the way it works. Our need for him in our life, brethren, is ever more present. In this world that we live in, it's frustrating. May we not lose sight of the fact that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It must come through him. And he has given us, as a church, he's given us the blessed opportunity to be that throughput, to be that institution that he's placed on this earth. But it, it make no mistake about it. The gospel must be spread. The gospel must be shared. And I wish, and it's probably every preacher's dream that you could have 3,000 souls added in one day. Instead of an old dirt road or an old rickety path that you got, can you imagine having an expressway? It would be amazing. God gives us that opportunity. May we refamiliarize ourselves with the need for reconciliation, the need for sin, the need for repentance in our lives. Remember, repentance is an internal thing that takes place on the inside of an individual. It is not gauged by you or me. It is gauged by God himself. And thank God for that opportunity. Thank God for the blessed opportunity to be here. To have the, the responsibility to be his people and this image placed here. Without it, folks, we ain't got nothing. May the Lord bless you and keep you.